Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rethink Retail podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hare, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Luke Ralph, an accomplished business leader who serves as the Senior Vice President and also Chief Merchandising Officer at Walgreens. Luke is the driving force behind Walgreens' success. He oversees all merchandising activities. He sets the strategic direction for the company's growth, and his leadership has been instrumental in bringing Walgreens' vision to life, which is to create more joyful lives through better health. Welcome to the show, Luke. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We love having you on. Your career trajectory is very interesting. From swinging a sledgehammer I have in my notes here at a steel mill to becoming the SVP and Chief Merchandising Officer at Walgreens, vastly different. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened in between all of that and how your early experiences shaped your leadership style? Yeah, very happy to do it. And, you know, I, I was born and raised sort of in the Rust Belt in the Midwest. My, my father worked at a steel mill and my mother was a cosmetologist, I think is how you say it. She did nails. And so when I graduated high school, after my first summer of college, I did an internship at that steel mill and literally my job was to walk around with a sledgehammer and pound serial numbers into molten steel, which is quite a experience in terms of validating why you're going to college, right? If I ever had a question after my first year of college, is this for me after spending a summer in 150 degree heat manually pounding serial numbers into a steel mill, it validated that there had to be a different path. But the experience was super enriching in that it taught me truly for the first time in my life, the value of hard work. When you're working in an environment like that, where one thing can go wrong and throw the entire mill into mm -hmm. a frenzy, everybody is all on the field all the time. And when there's an emergency, everybody pitches in and there's no defined, well, everybody has a job to do. Everybody stretches outside their defined role to do whatever is necessary to make sure that the mill keeps producing. And I think that combination of work ethic and the hard work part of it, but maybe more importantly, the everybody has to be in it to win it and on at all times is the thing that stuck with me the most. And, you know, I learned everybody's good at something. Everybody's really good at doing something and finding ways to maximize what they're good at and then bringing that together for the betterment of the team is really, really important. So, and then, you know, I would say, after I graduated college, I was really attracted to technology. It was a time when things were changing around electronic medical records. And so I wanted to learn how to program, how to write code, how to understand how technology could improve business. And so I spent a number of years there before ultimately going, getting my MBA and launching into my professional career, which started in consulting and then ended up here at Walgreens. So really formative experiences. And I would say if I could go back over and do it again, I would do it 10 times out of 10. The ability to see what it's like to work a really tough blue collar job to understand 
how that can translate to some of the things I do now was invaluable. And I like how you described the the parallels between the two, because retail, like you said, is is also always on in many senses. And there's a lot of different hats you wear as a retailer. And it's it's great to hear how you were able to compare the two. And you mentioned college. I know University of Michigan is near and dear to your heart. Big sports guy. How has your passion for sports also influenced your approach to leadership? You know, it's interesting. It's a bit of what I said about the seal mill, the same parallel, which is my, first of all, I have a leadership philosophy generally that is enable, empower, and give people runway to do what it is that they, that they can do. But philosophically, I also believe everybody is good at something or great at something. So my job is to figure out how to channel those things that they're great at to amplify the value of the entire team. Not everybody can play first base, not everybody can pitch, not everybody can be a point guard, but everybody's good at playing some sort of position. Some are more versatile than others, but everybody can contribute. My job as a, uh, and you know, I coach my kids' little league teams and I feel the same way about this. My job as a coach yeah. and my job as a leader in this company is to figure out what are the right places and positions to put people in to enable them to be successful so that the entire team can be successful. And so that philosophy, I think, started playing sports as a kid, carried on when I was working at the steel mill. And now whether I'm coaching one of my kids' teams or I'm working with my team, that's just how I think about things. How do I get the best out of people and put them in positions and empower them to be successful? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you have time in your day, uh, in addition to doing all that, and you're a little league coach, so that's that's impressive. Are you, it's a little bit of self-preservation, Julia, because yeah. I told myself early on in my career I needed to find, when I started a family, I needed to find those moments that I would protect at all costs to make sure that I was with my family. So to some extent, coaching has been a great outside work mechanism for me to protect that because if I'm coaching the football team, I can't miss it. I've got to be there. And I love being there. So it's been a way that I can be really involved in my kids in something I'm passionate about, but also make sure that when I'm working my nine to five or my nine to 10, that I'm making sure that I carve out time for my family. Yeah, and that's super, super important. We can, I, maybe I can learn from you after this call offline. There's just a lot to that and about the balancing act. When we talk about Walgreens in particular, it's shifted from what it used to be in the past. Maybe people thought of it as just a pharmacy and now it's really more holistic, a healthcare company. How does that impact, you know, you talked about your, your nine to five, which is more like a nine to 10 in your day to day. How is this approach affecting the merchandising strategy? Yeah, I think it's my job. And I had the benefit, of course, of working directly with Roz as her chief of staff when we were re-articulating the vision, the mission, the values of the company, the strategy for the company. And so when I stepped into this role, what I said to her was now it's my job to take that and translate it into the merchandising vision. And so. There's a bunch of things that we're prioritizing and focusing on to do that. The first is how do we continue to grow our own brand portfolio, particularly in the health and wellness space where we have pharmacy trusts and heritage and really great products at really great value and push that growth for consumers. So think about the role that we played in the context of the pandemic, making sure that we have products in stock, making sure that we had the right item that we were 
investing in innovation in the right areas and that we were doing that all in service of our branded products very specifically. I think another thing we have to continue to do is make access to healthcare easier for folks. So I talked a lot about the capabilities we have around same day pickup, same day delivery. And now we've recently even launched 24 hour delivery in certain parts of the country. If you're a, you know, I have three kids, they're 10, eight and five. So we're sort of getting out of the baby years, but not that far from your kid wakes up at two in the morning, they have a fever, you need a solution. And I think Walgreens has to be that solution in local communities. It's our job, it's our mission. And so we're investing a lot to make that even easier. I always tell a story about I had COVID, I think for the second time, and everyone in the family had it. And we needed a bunch of things from hydration to acetaminophen to cough medicine. And I placed an order from my local Walgreens and all those products were delivered to my doorstep in 14 minutes and 47 seconds. Ooh, record timing. My goodness. There's nobody else, in my opinion, in the country that can do that because we have 9,000 locations. We're close to customers and it's easy to get in and out of our stores. So even if you think about some of our partners who we work with on delivery, it's easy to get in and out of our parking lots. It's easy to get the product. It's easy to get to the customer's home. And so that's a big part of the mission for us too, is whether the customer wants to shop the store traditionally or that whether they want to use our digital offerings to get products to their house fast because they're all sick and they don't want to go to a store, we've got a big role to play there. So those are just a couple things we're really focused on, our health and well-being private label, and then how we continue to double down on our convenience proposition in service of making people's lives easier and making it easier for them to lead more joyful lives through better health. Absolutely. And I want, I want to stay forward looking, but I can't help but think while you're speaking about COVID and thinking about Walgreens and the role that healthcare p- retail players in the healthcare sector had to innovate in the speed. I mean, what was it like the culture during that time? Like, do you think people got burned out? Was it, are you glad that's behind? Like how, how was it? I think we need more of it. I think it's super empowering when you're moving at a thousand miles an hour. And when you take off some of the traditional business decision-making shackles that maybe you've had just to do the right thing for customers and patients. I actually think we need to continue to have that mindset as we work through what is now a very dynamic retail environment, right? Are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? What's happening with consumer spending? Where's inflation going? We have to be even more agile than ever. So I find those environments where you're innovating quickly, you're deploying as fast as ever, you aren't going through the traditional mechanisms that can slow the business down to be the times where we make the most progress. So I I actually found being here, you know, watching how the teams mobilized against vaccinations, for example, was remarkable. Um, I remember my first day here, everybody talking about, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could deliver products through the drive through physical retail products, not just pharmacies. And everyone said, we can't do that. It's too hard. Well, guess what? COVID happened. And within a couple of months, we figured out how to do that. So it's just amazing the energy that people were able to bring and some of the things that were almost sacred cows or we could never accomplish it before that we were able to accomplish in a few short weeks and months. It truly is. And and now 
the thing about retail, good or bad, but now it's table stakes, right? That level of That's convenience. Right. And, and so you can't go back on it. And the fact that you've been able to roll it out that quickly and have it get that stickiness with consumers is impressive. And Walgreens also does a lot with private label. We talk about private label a lot on the podcast because it's important to retail in general. Do you think you talked a little bit about the innovation culture stemming from COVID? Is that playing a role into how you're approaching new things you're trying with private label? Is there anything you can share with our listeners maybe about what's to come? For sure. First of all, really important for me, I always call it own brand, not private label. And okay. the reason for that is because you have to have a pride behind the products that you bring. Private label can make it seem like the generic equivalent. And actually, I think the opportunity in own brand is to expand beyond just creating the generic equivalent into creating solutions for customers. So that's really what we're focused on and following some of the trends in women's wellness, clean medicine, um, ingredient transparency. We're really pushing our own brand business to focus on those areas that innovate in front of sometimes the CPG, not innovate behind the CPG. So there's a lot that we're working on there. We also think in the context I mentioned of the macroeconomic environment, the value equation is more important than ever to the customer. And we think our, our own brand can serve a role both at the same time on innovation and on value. And I mean this in the sense of the big V, quality, price, et cetera. We think there's an opportunity for us to do even more there. And we've got a lot of momentum we're building from too. We had really great wins in the last year as we were working hand in hand with our supplier partners where there were shortages on things uh, as we went through kind of an unprecedented cough, cold and flu season to make sure that our own brand products could show up still at shelf for customers and that we could be there for customers. So lots to come. I think the trends and the consumer focus areas of what we're really honing in on, again, there's huge opportunities. And you're seeing other retailers go after this and CPGs going after this, menopause, sexual well-being. How can we lead with innovation in our own brand, not just follow the CPG? So that's what you'll see us do over the years, weeks, months, and years ahead. And potentially greater trust, do you think, was developed in the Walgreens-owned brands? after COVID because you were able to own maybe the, the supply a little bit more and have it on the shelves where, you know, other suppliers just couldn't deliver? No doubt. And, and for sure, having something where, you know, the pharmacy is one of the most tr trusted professions in the world. And so having products that are backed by our pharmacists, and we say it right on the packaging, but if you go ask a pharmacist in one of our stores, my child has a fever, what do you recommend? They're going to take you and show you the Walgreens own brand versions first. So that makes a big difference too. I do think that trust we built and the role we played during the pandemic, but even preceding the pandemic and now as we emerge from the pandemic, I think it's a big opportunity for us, particularly in those health and well-being areas. When we talk about Walgreens, I have to mention, I think you already said something a little bit on this when you mentioned your own experience getting that 14-minute delivery Localization, especially with a pharmacy, is super important. How do you, at scale, customize the strategy for them? Yeah, so I think part of localization is the operational part of how can you, you know, leverage the 9,000 locations to get the right products into consumers' hands faster. 
we are spending a lot of time on that one, thinking about how we view our 9,000 locations, not just as showrooms or places you go to shop, but as mini distribution centers. So they become back to that 14 minutes and 47 seconds example, the hub to get products into consumers home even faster. But we're also doing a lot around making sure we've got the right products in the right stores. So if we connect this to own brand, for example, think about areas that maybe are economically disadvantaged. How can we play a bigger role with own brand in those areas? Because the price equation really matters. Or in other locations, how can we make sure where we're, we're in a grocery desert that we amplify our offerings on healthy consumables because the closest grocery store is 30 minutes away and we play a big role in those communities and getting the right healthy, healthier products to consumers. So we're spending a lot of time on that as well. And, you know, we have this tremendous asset with our customer loyalty program, My Walgreens. We have 100 million members. We know how they shop, where they shop. And, you know, I think 10 years ago that used to scare people. But now I think people want that. Consumers want someone that can help them remember when, oh, it's been a while since you bought your vitamin D and you should have your vitamin D um, as part of the regimen that's corresponding to your prescription. And we can help customers remember those connections and leverage our loyalty data to reach them in ways that really nobody else can. So your localization and, you know, is actually, in a lot of ways, personalization because you guys own so much data on your customers, it sounds like, and you're able to do that for them as a service. A hundred percent. And you think about areas where, you know, we are uh, one of the only shows in town and you have a diabetic patient and they bought test strips, but they haven't bought test strips for a while. How can we nudge those individuals to make sure that they're on their regimen? So yes, there's a component of this, which is selling products, but there's a component of this as well that is helping people in local communities around the United States and the world for that matter, live happier and healthier lives. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing. I mean, for all of us listening as consumers to think back even 10 years ago, what the healthcare sector looked like in terms of digital tools that support it and places like Walgreens and your competitors and how much it's changed. The innovation is incredible. Um, so thank you for shining a light on all of the really cool things that you're doing at Walgreens. I wanted to switch gears a little bit to just your personal um, achievements and advice. What is something you wish your, your younger self could have known earlier on in your career for anyone who's listening that is maybe climbing the ranks within a large retail organization that, that you would tell them? My team would tell you that I live this today, but don't take things too seriously. Uh, it's very easy to get caught up in the day and what you needed to deliver that day and lose the bigger picture of there's going to be a tomorrow. And whether today was a success or a failure, you'll be back and you'll have another chance the next day. I think I would tell my younger self, don't take, take things too seriously. Don't take that hour too seriously. Working in business is a marathon, not a sprint. There's a lot Amen. of mini sprints within the marathon, but even your career, as you think about it, there's lots of choices or decisions that at that moment in time, I thought were do or die. And looking back on them, they're trivial in the grand scheme of the career that I've had and of some of the roles that I've been in. So don't take things too seriously. You know, we also spend, whether it's virtually or 
physically. And, you know, I'm sitting in the office today, but for a better part of a year, I wasn't in the office. Even when you're with your colleagues and your, your coworkers, making sure that there's time to connect on a personal level. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important for folks, especially coming out of COVID. We, we lose sight of what, you know, it's like to learn something sitting in a room from somebody versus learn something over the phone or over a video conference. And so making sure that you find those opportunities to connect to is, is really important. So younger career, I'd say, don't think, don't take things too seriously. And today I would say, make sure you find time to, to connect and to connect on a human level, not just on a transactional, we have to accomplish X, Y, Z level. Those are really important for building bridges for long-term growth. Yeah, absolutely. And both good points to keep perspective, not be too serious and to have that human connection. I think on virtual calls, we often jump right into, okay, this is what the call's about. We have to get X, Y, and Z done. And it just removes a little bit of what you said, the human element, which is really important in life and also in business. So For sure. Very good. I want to wrap it up with one more, just a random question. I would like to hear what is your favorite pro sports team? And then I think we can guess, but what's your favorite college team? All right. Well, I'll start with the latter because that's really easy. I did my undergrad and my grad at University of Michigan. My son, who's 10, tells me the only school I'll go to is University of Michigan. So I might have actually set up a bad path on that. <laughs> but University of Michigan, if you cut my arms open, I know that's morbid. I think I would bleed maize and blue. I was born and raised in Michigan as well. So that was in my DNA from an early age. And that's continued to be in my DNA to this day. Unfortunately, the flip side of that, because I've had a lot of fun and successful moments as a University of Michigan fan, I'm also a Detroit sports fan, which has had its <laughs> moments, but it has probably had more non-moments than moments. And in that regard, I'm a big Detroit Tigers fan. I love baseball. Detroit Tigers have been my team, had a really great run in the 2010s. A little tougher now, but kind of growing and building back toward having a good and competitive team. I love baseball. A lot of people can't watch baseball regular season games, like game 79 of a 162 game regular season. But I'm the person that at night, if there's a Tigers game on, I can keep it on and watch the whole thing. So Tigers and University of Michigan. Those are my answers. Final answers. Yeah. Final answers. Lock them in. I love it. Thank you, Luke. Thanks for answering those and um, being on the Rethink Retail podcast. Really appreciate it. And we do a lot of these. So I hope to have you back on in the future at some point and see you in person. Yeah, thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all the things that you all are doing. So thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at Rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.